Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. Oh, uh, boy. Were you up making bacon? No, but I did. I went to sleep early, and then I woke up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. That's how they you get know you. You know how that is? Yeah, it is. Oh, no, no, no. Whoa, it's a, it's a housewide struggle for us. Oh, the uh, go to bed early and then get up in the middle of the night? Yeah, my wife really, well, because, you know, once your cycle is off, and you're like, Meh. it's like it's 730, uh-huh. and I'm tired, and you're like, you got to power through till 10. Yeah, but I, I, I was like, I'm going to bed at midnight. Yeah. Like a, like I keep planning like a normal. Mm-hmm. Like, and a then two, <laughs> like a square. Like a square. Like a regular. And then at 2.45 a.m., I popped awake. I was like, ha-ha. There he Beep. is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's when I get up to urinate at some point during the night that all of my anxiety comes flooding through. And now I've made it a habit, so it's working out real nicely on a regular Oh, so you get up and you have a little bit midnight midnight time, just you and your anxieties? Sure. Uh, for me, it's like between two and four. Get up, pee like a gentleman. I pee once in the night, usually. And then mm-hmm. uh, at this point, I mean, I'm sure that'll change. I'll have many more opportunities for this in the future. But uh, yeah, that could be a five minute to one hour to longer like meh, thing for me. You probably don't yeah. get that. You don't get that. Well, you know, it's hard. The thing about anxiety... Because it's hard for me to, I think this is probably true for a lot of people. It, it, it was for a long time hard for me to know what it felt like because it would mask itself as other things. Mm-hmm. And I think I still have that problem. I can't tell when I'm, I don't, it's very rare when I can sit and say like, oh, wait, I'm feeling anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's like it always comes, you know, it pads in on little cat feet. I wish I, I had the same thing in reverse where uh, for the longest time, I mean, I've had a lot of people in my life with various kinds of depression, treated and untreated, like, well, maybe a plurality, like a lot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I always and I always felt like I could say with some confidence, I don't I don't have depression. I have anything but depression. I'm I'm a happy guy. And I said, if anything, mm-hmm. I have the opposite of depression. I get very anxious. And it wasn't until fairly recently that more and more people would say, that, at least that I heard, would say, well, you know, anxiety is a big side effect of depression. Uh-huh. You know, that there's mm-hmm. uh, their fruit from the uh, similar tree. My problem is the habit, the habit of anxiety, you know, and not to be all Buddhist, but like if you have a bad thought and, and you know, kind of let it pass away, you're okay. The problem is if you make it part of your habit. And I think that's true for almost any kind of emotional or mental deficit is like we can really uh hey happy new year this is good stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is real happy stuff good yeah do you do you have to do you have to like touch the doorknob every time you go by it or anything like that no i had a very i don't think so i don't think so i do get um intrusive thoughts not the, mm-hmm. like, you know, I want to have sex with a baby and throw it on the train tracks kind of thought that some people get. No, I don't get, like, no, you know, it, all... It is intrusive. Well, I mean, Maria Bamford talks about this a lot. She has she has really intrusive, uh, very bizarre sexual thoughts that she doesn't want to have. It's not anything she wants to do, but once the idea is in her head, you know, she's made great comedy out of that. I don't right. get that. I do get this sort of, like, I can't stop thinking a thought thing, and uh, sometimes it's all I can do to pull myself out of it. You're, you're a muller, aren't you? Don't you yeah. mull? I do mull. I you, don't, mull, you mull and you stew. I do a little. I do a little bit of stewing. I do some mulling. Yeah, I do a um, a brood. 
I think. <laughs> got, got a special nighttime toadstool just for that. <laughs> and he's sitting for friggin' friggin' spasm princess. Uh, what was that look the coffee girl gave me? <laughs> but but I, I feel like a lot of that is managed now. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that, a lot of that stuff, because you know the thing about depression, right, is that you think everybody's against you too, or that it's the the whole world is like a lie. Yeah, everybody lied. sees the worst possible side of you. Yeah, and you're the you're the goat in in every scenario, and I right. feel like the the uh, the medicine I'm taking now has relieved quite a bit of that, so I don't spend all afternoon going like. Argh. But I do still have, I still have those tendencies. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think, you know, more than anything, it's just still that, it's still that parliament of, of nudges. Um, all the little, all the little uh, advocates for, for irrelevant, up the wrong channel kind of, kind of small problems that just collect and form. In, like impassable problems right. where it's like there's no there's nothing in the way here you know uh, but mm-hmm. but there's you know there's somebody that's like well we don't have a single sharpened pencil in the house and it's just like how did that become the thing that keeps me from finishing my record album right. uh, and la- lately you know and it's maybe around the new year but but it's also it also it also feels like i'm i i have these um uh, <clears throat> I have these periods where I am seized with it with energy and I say, now we're going to get to the bottom of this. Now we're going to, here we go. You know, my dad would do this. My uncle Jack does it. It's like, up and up, everybody, get your boots on. (laughs) You get a little trumpet voluntary. (laughs) Like that thing that went around Instagram for a while. It's like, okay, all right, all right, stop it. But uh, but I had one of those recently where I marched around and said, like, okay, let's figure this out. We just got a couple of things to do, and why is it such a problem? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, like, created some folders on my desktop. I made some commitments with some people over coffee breakfasts. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've, like, planted some flags but I still am. I'm still standing here with my same self, and still every day, like not not taking first steps. You know, not like actually moving in any direction. And it it uh, it's exasperating. You know, I've got the same. I have the same goals. I, you know, I'm I'm bad at having goals, but I have the same. You got your checklist. I got my checklist, and I, I mean, it's the my, same. My, my, is that the same thing? You've got your like your three things on your list. Yeah, it's the same thing, and it's like twelve years of it haunting me. Mm-hmm. I can't abandon it. I get all this advice from well-meaning friends. Well, if you haven't finished it, throw it away. Cause just get on, get on with it. It's like I can't. Yeah. So, but but all it's doing is torturing me. Mm-hmm. And what is what kind of way is that to live? And so I. So is 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 where's the anxiety? Like in a way, anxiety is all over it. It's like sticky with anxiety, mm-hmm. but it's not. But it doesn't like it doesn't jump out in its like Joker costume or it's. Uh, I always feel like anxiety is kind of dressed like Harlequin, the new version of Harlequin. 
with the, her the, daddy's. The, yeah. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like sexy daddy's Harley little Quinn. monster. Yeah, yeah right. daddy's little monster T-shirt. Where I'm like, I just feel like that's hard. That's anxiety for me. I don't know enough about her to know. That's whether, okay. Yeah. Uh, does she have web? Does she make webs? Oh, she it's complicated. She um, she treated the Joker at Arkham Asylum, and she basically was very. She found herself very attracted to his case and the celebrity of his case, and she got really played by the Joker. And oh, she did helped, she get some Joker on her? Yeah, yeah, and she she helped him escape, and uh, then I haven't kept up, but that's the origin and. Um, uh, which is actually a really good comic is uh you know that basically now they're in this this very kind of abusive uh codependent relationship where she really mm. wants to impress him she's going to be the one who kills batman he's like no nobody's allowed to kill batman but me and i'm not going to kill him cuz we need each other right and so she she doesn't get the gist of how to please him and you know she does sexy things and he's sitting there crumbling up his plans and getting all frustrated and uh you know he does she doesn't get the depth of his jokes and so their relationship is very uh, trying i don't know what that's like in the movie because i refuse to see that movie but uh that's the harley quinn in the tv show in the comics and what is the uh oh, there's there a harley quinn movie she's in uh the movie suicide squad played by the wonderful margot robbie i see mm-hmm. and they really a- they really mm, you know there's a tendency you probably never noticed this there's a tendency sometimes to really heavily sexualize comic book women and uh, they they went pretty crazy with it in that movie. Apparently, is that a good uh, personification of anxiety for me, or should I pick another one? Oh, well, I think I, you know because of the Goldwater uh, Amendment. Like, I am not allowed to diagnose you from a distance, as we say. But sure. um, it seems to me, if I were going to dumb this down in a non-John Roderick way, I would say you have. You seem to have not merely a critical voice, but as you put it, a parliament of critical voices that are at once on message and contradictory that mm-hmm. that, that drives you. So you have many Harley's Quinn in some way, mm-hmm. but I don't know if yes. Harley, I, you have you have to decide you know who, who that is. But you know, a lot well, of, I, sometimes sometimes people say like when you're when you're trying to face this stuff down. It does help to identify, this is really good radio, it does help to identify that voice or those voices and then decide how you feel about what that person is saying. It's like, imagine when, that, when, you, when you catch yourself having those critical thoughts or those like, you know, you're such a dummy, you did this dumb thing, you'll never do anything good, you never finish, whatever, whatever your flavor of that is, and it's, it's a different personal hell for everybody, that you try to sort of identify like, okay, who is that? Is that my dad? Is mm. is that is that some kind of like uh, is that my boss Randy from the restaurant? Because all all oh, restaurant, yeah, all stepfathers and and uh, restaurant managers are named Randy. Uh, yeah. So it helps to identify that you don't have to give it a name. You don't have to get you know wacky about it, but to go and then decide. And this is this is the pro level is to decide how you feel about that voice being there and whether you're going to listen to it and give it any credibility. What about having it be a, an entire Suicide Squad? Oh, where you get like the mean Joker with the with the braces or whatever. See, I don't know enough about the Suicide I don't either. Squad. I don't either. Yeah, you, you, know, you, got whole... own, you got your own. You got your own superhero villain team in there. Mm-hmm. Then they, yeah. and they they bring their forces together. The Parliament. <laughs> the Parliament. New from DC. The, that whole uh, that, that whole like the voices in my head are a Parliament is actually a, a it's actually a 
a sort of a thing I grabbed from Bismarck. Um, he described his own uh, his oh, own inner life this as I being. Find. You probably mentioned this uh, before, but Bismarck, huh? Uh, he, yeah, his, and it's, it's not his, you know, Bismarck is so full of wonderful aphorisms, um, that it's sometimes hard to track down all of his, all of the great lines from, from his, his sort of, uh, catalog. Cause mm-hmm. he just, if you, if you read, if you read his, his aphorisms, he reads like Sun Tzu, you know, he's just <laughs> like, he's full of, full of great, uh, little, little political jibes, but he does at some point describe his own inner life as being this, um, Reichstag of, of, uh, disagreeable inner selves. And, um, so when I talk about it, it's really a direct grab. Okay. Because well, well, well credited. Otto Vaughn, you know, he, he, uh, I, I dig his stuff. I really love, you know, I celebrate his entire catalog. Sure. And if you're such a fan, name his last three albums. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that's a really good painting. I'll use that. Um, I, I feel like from a remove, like if you look at other people and other people's hangups, other people who have the hangups that you do not have, everything looks simple. And I think mm-hmm. this is uh, from my own POV. That's definitely true with procrastination where people who don't procrastinate have no uh, sympathy or really understanding of what it's like to be somebody who procrastinates and explaining it doesn't help. Because, I mean, it's like, it's like you, you've got this extra sense as somebody who procrastinates or whatever, whatever one's personal hangup is, right? So like you, you, see, you see stuff in the tea leaves that other people don't see. You're motivated in ways that are very uh, exotic and unknowable to people who don't have that. But you look at, so like, let's say, I don't want to trigger anybody here, but like it's been reported that someone very highly placed in the U.S. government Mm-hmm. has a morbid fear of stairs and basically grades. And so I, so I heard about this, and I, and I went and read a little more about it. And again, we, because of Goldwater, we're not allowed to diagnose from a distance. But it's very interesting. This is the person who is very scared of, of going downstairs. In particular, there's a difference. There's a one phobia about going downstairs. There's another stair, uh, climbing-based fear of going upstairs. But that this person, in addition to that, is terrified of falling down steps, but also is, as they say, a germaphobe. So it doesn't like to touch the rail, but has to touch the rail in order to assuage that other fear. Now, th- this gets very, very complicated. So like, yeah. I, I don't have that. I, I don't see, you know, a screenshot of Teletubbies and, and get a tiny dick. Like, I don't get like, <laughs> ah. So I look at that <laughs> and I say, well, that seems very exotic. I don't have a morbid fear of snakes. I have what I would consider to be a very normal fear of snakes, which is like, if there's a snake, uh, I'm scared. But I, I very rarely in my life have imagined that there are snakes in places where snakes never are. But somebody who has right. that fear... Like on a plane? Like on a plane. Like on a motherfucking plane. I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with this, but but I think, I feel like if I, I see this in myself, I see it in others. I think one of the big problems with all of this stuff is the repetition. So like, if you, if somebody, uh, and this is again, getting a little bit into the mindfulness and cognitive psychology angle, but like, if you're somewhere where there's shit tons, I'm, I, at this point, I'm just kind of quoting uh, this guy named Robert Wright, who wrote a book recently about Buddhism and cognitive psychology. Or not cognitive, I'm sorry, evolutionary psychology. 
Mm-hmm. But he basically says if you're in an area where you know there's tons of rattlesnakes and lots of people die from rattlesnakes for some reason, it, you can understand why you would be very cautious and even like imagine that there, there's a snake when there's not a snake. Because even if you're scared of snakes and there's not one there, 99 times out of 100, the one time that there is, it served you well from an evolutionary standpoint. But in a modern society, maybe that doesn't make the most sense. So, like, I, I feel like the one common thing through all of this is, yeah, hey, first of all, there's a, there is a deficit in, in perception and cognition. But then there's also the repetition. I think it's the repetition that kills us and the feeling that the repetition is out of our control. So having a thought that you keep thinking that's making you unhappy, but then somehow you, it's like pressing a bruise. You can't help but revisit this thing that you hate because it, it feels so much a part of you. Do you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And even if, even or especially if you're scared of snakes or you're worried about throwing a baby onto train tracks, like you don't have to have, according to Hoyle OCD, to be very troubled by this thing where you're going like, like, I have this thought, I hate it, I feel crazy, I hate feeling crazy, I hate this entire thing, but I can't stop and I don't know why. That's, that's the part that I think gets so frustrating is you don't, you know, it's, it keeps happening, but you don't know how to stop it. And I think that's when something goes from being inconvenient, frustrating, and troublesome for a moment to being something a little bit more chronic and what in particular i think for me is is it makes it like um chronic is that the the thoughts themselves my whatever pantheon of thoughts none of them are unreasonable it's not like i'm scared to go downstairs i'm not afraid of snakes in any way shape or form i seek out snakes um all of my like throw a baby on the tracks like sort of ejaculatory thoughts are all like interesting and fun. It seems to me like if you've talked about this, you've talked about your ability, your desire, you you, you are so historically through your life, you've been so interested in building your own mental and emotional world that you would seek it out to the exclusion of other people's emotional worlds. Like you you, you like, you like your internal thing. Yeah. The whole, the, like the, the fantasies aren't problem. aren't, aren't problems for me. And also none of the thoughts feel abnormal. They all feel normal. This was the, you know, what we, when we used to talk about depression, when it was really my, uh, my bet noir, it was just that the feet, that, that, that the things I was telling myself all seemed perfectly reasonable. I was a, a trash garbage person mm-hmm. and, and I could demonstrate why. And my friends did hate me and I could show you the evidence so the the thoughts that plague me are all these thoughts that if I try and apply a critical faculty to, I come up <laughs> with them all seem all the more normal and legit. Yeah, it's just like oh well, I mean obviously it, there is a deficit of pencils here. I do need five new folders on my computer that are that are named and numbered, and until I do that, that I can't begin. And and having done it now, I feel like I've done some pretty good work, and I need to take a little break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've got, you know, I've got these, I've got these files, and that that organizes my next step. But you know, the actual next step is pretty big job. I should probably have a sandwich first. Mm-hmm. And so those aren't um, those aren't easy to say. Look, man, I keep coming back to this. This like uh, this this thought that is intrusive that that's uh, that I can see is irrational, 
it's that I keep that I am. But as you as you describe, like I'm totally locked in a pattern. It's absolutely incapacitating. It is something that feels like there's a solution to. But 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 what you were describing, which is people that don't share that, um, that don't share a morbid fear of stairs or germs feeling like, well, that seems pretty easy to get over, or at least pretty easy to work around. Right. You take, you take in that case, like you take normal precautions that you you wear white gloves or, you know, or whatever, just wash your hands often enough. But like, yeah, exactly. That you would say like, when people look at somebody who has an affliction like that, they go like, you're making a problem out of something that is not a problem. And for that to become pathological is not understandable to me. When, when you and I first met, and you were uh, the Internet's Merlin Mann, mm-hmm. remember when you were Merlin Mann? I do. I do. I used to talk in my shoe. Yeah, it was a wonderful time. Yeah. And I remember, uh, you know, you were, you were uh, building a, a name for yourself as a productivity guru. And I had that, in the inside insight into you. Where you were, you were trying out all those methods. You were discovering all that stuff because you really were trying to solve actual an actual problem for yourself. Yeah, which was, I mean, you weren't just like, let me go out and test all these options for my website. You were like, how do I, how do I solve this problem? How do I solve for X, which is that I want to be more productive. Well, and I was, you, I mean, I, be, I eventually became broken as a vocation, but I came at it honestly. Which Honestly. was that I felt like, I mean, if you had to put it in a non-negative like negative way, it would be that I always had the sense that I was capable of doing seemingly basic things better, but it was always challenging to me. And I wondered, was there a fairly light infrastructure I could introduce? And then when I noticed the infrastructure is getting too heavy, I would try to pull back and go, no, no, no. Just even if this yeah. is your job, this is too much infrastructure. Well, sure. I remember <clears throat> the wall of Post-it notes. The the uh, infamous or not infamous because it wasn't really famous. It was just you know like at your house you had stuff on post-it notes and it became a became a real wall. No yarn. And, no yarn. <laughs> no yarn. But like yeah, that is a wow. There are a lot of thoughts up there, and some of those post-it notes just said things on them like "Go get more post-it notes." <laughs> and uh, and I'm the same way. And the the problem with my repetitive thoughts or my or the stumbling blocks is that it seems to other people who don't have the problem like it is just a productivity problem or it's something an implementation that problem yeah like all you need is a plan or a system you got, you've got all the, the you've got all the tools and you've got the will there's no reason that you can't just go uh make a lawnmower engine today yeah put put some folders on your thing or here's a book that helped me or you know what works for me is blank mm-hmm. and uh and so absolutely like my close friends well-meaning people my own mother are are always making these you know they're pulling yellow legal pads out they're like we just have to do this step by step they really want to help um and they say you know first thing we have to do is just is this small simple step and i go right dig it and then immediately like the wheels come off and it and it doesn't it, it doesn't seem to other people like I'm doing anything but just stopping in the middle of the road for no reason. And, and it's not that I'm, you know, it's not that I see snakes. Uh, and this, and this is the repetitive cycle that you're talking about because I don't, you know, I'm in a loop. Mm -hmm. I'm in a loop and, and, um, 
I mean, this is amazing radio, let's be honest. It, it, part of it, though, and I, it, it's okay if you want to push back on this, but my, my own take on that that I think works for a lot of... There's a repetition, for sure. But whether it's procrastination or it's not getting an album done or something, to call it fear is a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. But to call it a feeling of impending danger or insecurity is a better way to put it. Like a, a feeling of fear, you might get a big adrenaline or dopamine hit that says, I need to get through this, right? I need to run away from the snake because I literally saw five fucking snakes. That's For something that's there, if the bear is chasing you, you should run. The, the other part, though, is that part of that repetition is that you just keep checking for the thing that you're <clears throat> scared of or worried about if you if you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. there's something in you that's causing you to not move forward fearlessly and it's not mm-hmm. fear exactly on the nose but it is uncertainty and it is some kind of like am i ready for this am i i don't know if i'm up for this today i think yeah i get knots in my stomach laying in bed at night thinking about and, and, and just to be really clear, I'm, simple things to do yeah i'm not excluding fear because fear is definitely a thing i'm just saying that like calling it just fear dismisses too easily the the role of uncertainty which is yeah. which is a, it's a little bit different and you know, fear and anxiety and nervousness um and anger are all are all flavors of a very similar thing that involves the world is not the way that i want and i'm not sure how to change it to be how i want yeah, fear of <clears throat> fear of success, fear of failure are the are the uh, the twin the twin uh, twins of Virgo um, <laughs> that I can't tell the difference between them. I don't know what I'm. People people have been throwing that at me since I was eleven. You have fear of success. You have fear of failure. And I go, well, uh, could could it just be you have uh, reluctance to change? There's something, there's something that says that like change it feels risky, even if that's well, an improvement. But I do, you know, I I do and have over the course of of my life made big changes in who I am. You know, mm-hmm. I'm such a different person than I was. Um, and of course I'm the same person. Like I still am, I still am me. But you know, I react. I I try to learn. And. I do I do dig my feet in sometimes, but I dig them in on principle rather than like um, it's it's in this one small area, right? I mean, like I I am um, it's it's a it's a closed loop. It's not like a a, a loop that that affects my uh, like ability to. Get, take a new job or or um, or make a switch between being a musician and being a writer or something like that. Like that mm-hmm. stuff is just like, well, oh, yeah, sure. Let's let's give it a try or or um, fear of change in terms of like throwing it all away. But fear of. Uh, you know, I don't. I honestly don't know what benefit I think, like what I'm getting out of uh, these small failures, these constant small failures. The fact that I have this this list that only has two items on it, and both things could be, I could finish my book and finish my album in a month, really, if I didn't worry about their quality 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I could have that record done in two days if I didn't care whether it was good or not. And it would and, be off your list. And it would be off the list. Mm-hmm. And I would be on to the next thing. And by caring about it being good, I make it impossible to finish because I can never get a thing that is good. And I'm, and that makes me think that I'm incapable of doing a thing that's good. And that it paralyzes me. Mm-hmm. So I make a, I make a set of folders on the desktop and I say, I'm just going to put all the lyrics that start with the letter R in the R file and that will help me organize them and I'll be able to tell which ones are good. (laughs) And then I put them in there and as I'm putting them in there, I'm like, well, this one's good. That one's good. This feels great. And then two days later, I open up the R file and I think it's full of great stuff. And I read them all again and I'm like, there's not a single good thing in here. It's garbage. And then I close it and I don't look at it for a month. Because it just sits on the it sits on the desktop as this like throbbing red thumb. And now you've created a a a taxonomy of failure. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. there there's that folder that I know is full of garbage that is all of uh, and it's and basically it contains everything under the letter R that I am capable of making. So to add more garbage to it doesn't seem like the right you know process. And by that point, you need a rest. And I need a rest, you know, or I need to start working on, you know, what I need to do is start working on the novel. Um, and so I make some files and I go over there and I'm like, this you, roll, is... you roll your chair over a couple feet and you go, right. Let's yeah. do this. I'm, here we go. Roll up the sleeves, crack the knuckles and, and sit at the typewriter. Make some new and folders. So, you know, like I have done so much work on both things. Like the novel has hundreds and hundreds of pages and I've had probably eight people read it. And all eight have come back with really good constructive uh, comments that are that, you know, are not like, well, you need to start over. Their their comments are like, this is great. Here's my suggestion. You should just, you know, write more about how you feel and take out a little bit of the stuff where you're like, and then I had another seven up and I go amazing. And then I read it and I'm like the whole thing, basically the entire book is about seven ups and I have to redo it. I have to redo the whole thing. Cause it's basically just a testimony to the number of seven ups I drank. And so I go, and the lyrics, I've got so many files of lyrics, so many files, files and files enough for 50 albums. Mm-hmm. But I can't get, I can't get that voice out of my head that it's, that when I look at it a second time, I, I, it's garbage. Mm-hmm. And and all the all the solutions that are suggested by my well-meaning friends of just like move on, get past it. I, it just it just seems like brutal to me. Why would they even say that? Why would they suggest such an awful thing? Mm-hmm. As that I should throw my thing away. Um, throw all this work away. All these great files that are full of garbage. Why should I, you know, like, why would somebody tell me to throw away my life's work? That's my, that's my cycle. 
Um, another, um, another way to think about this, this is not going to help, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. but you're used to that. Um, the, uh, another way to think about it though, is that, uh, what's the constant through all of this? Oh, there's you. The other constant through all of this is the fucking list. So, I mean, in my case, the analog is like, I realized a long time ago, I will very likely never be without anxiety. So even if I clear the decks of the top anxiety, the three under it, and all the other ones, I'm not going to get around the structural problem that anxiety comes to me in ways I don't choose. And I could, I could find myself becoming anxious about almost anything. So I'm not saying we're the same on this, but, uh, you know, it's that fucking list that's killing you. It's in yeah. some ways it's like if you didn't have the list, I mean, and again, now some, some kind of armchair Freud is going to come in and go, oh, well, you know, get rid of the list or throw the list away or to say, you know, I guess all I'm trying to say is that like, at least to be aware of the fact that the one constant is the list. So there's two extreme example, you know, uh, points of view here. One, one would be like throw the list away because it's not helping you start over mm-hmm. do something else. And then if that includes going back and looking at your R lyrics, then that's fine. Um, but, you know, another person might say, and this is going to be your fear of failure or fear of success, friends, your imposter syndrome buddies, is going to be like, well, maybe you're worried that once you tick off those two items, there won't be anything left. And now who are you? <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's a, that's a hot take, but there's probably going to be people who think that. What's weird is I always want help and I ask for help. Um, and I think in my head, I have a vision that someone will take enough of an interest in this that they will actually pull up a chair. And because I love to sit and like read off a thing and have somebody else hear it and bounce it back, you know, like I love to go back and forth. What I don't like is when someone sits and listens and goes, Oh great. Well, it seems like you're on your way or, you know, here's my suggestion for a solution to your problem overall. And then they get up and leave um, and leave me alone to. How does that make you feel? <laughs> abandoned. Mm-hmm. Because they hadn't engaged fully. Well, and the problem is it's an unrealistic expectation because I want my friend. I want some friend of mine who has their own creative life, who is struggling to get their own things done who is, you know, obviously consumed with their own demons to devote themselves for some period of time to helping me. And the fact that they, you know, like I, I I wrote our, our, our good friend Ben Acker the other day and said, I've got this draft and, you know, I'm wondering if you would read it. And he wrote back and said, the thing about a draft is if you think it's a draft, it's still a draft and you should work on it more. And when you don't think it's a draft, when you're like, it's done, uh, then you have people read it. Hmm. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting theory. And if, if you're I, still calling it a draft, you know, you're not done yet. Yeah. It's not, is, and, is he implying that it's not, is he trying to motivate you or say that it's not ready for criticism? He's definitely trying to motivate me. Um, and, and, you know, I have this conversation a ton of times, like with Dave Bazan tried to help me finish my record um, and did a, quite a bit of work helping me do it. But ultimately, like it was here, let me make files for you. And then once they're in files, you can sort through them and know what to do. Uh, and I, I wanted so much handholding beyond just beyond. And 
and other people's systems, I generally uh, like not just struggle to adopt, but actively resist in my head. You know, mm. If somebody's like, here, let me make these files for you. I'll order them this way. I'm like, ah, that's just not how I would order them. Um, that's just not how I, I would progress. I had a plan last year and some, some life stuff got in the way and it, and I was a week behind and the person that was helping me with that plan said, well, you're a week behind, but you can catch up. And I said, well, because of these life things, I feel like I shouldn't be a week behind. I feel like we should set the deadline that we had a week later. And they said, no, let's keep the deadline where it is. And just you make up for the week that got lost. And I was furious. Why should I, why should I have the deadline be the same? It should move back a week because of the tornado. Right. The tornado that hit the town. And, and I couldn't they, they, they opine that that's not really a deadline if you move it? Well, yeah, or they're just like, the, you'll, it's fine. You can, you can make up that week. You can make up that lost week. And I was like, but that's crazy. That's crazy to say that I'm a week behind now. I was doing so good. <laughs> uh, you, walk, you walked across Europe, but like the idea, <laughs> the idea of feeling a little bit behind on the project cripples you. Well, yeah. That's rough. And the, that's fucking rough. You know, the, and the thing about you the You have the ability to power through stuff. It's just yeah. it, some things are harder than others. Yeah. The, the, and this is the thing I think a lot of people don't believe when I say. But I was 30 when I walked across Europe. And it was the first thing I had ever finished. Except for high school. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really finish high school. You know, they... I got to the... More like they I finished got, you. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I got to the end of what the term of high school should have been. And they were like, that's fine. Uh, and so I didn't even have a real feeling of completion of high school because I, because I like, skirted it. Um, but Wasn't I, it more I, like the staff and faculty disappeared you? Wasn't it more yeah, like the, sort of by mutual assent, by a voice vote, they decided that you just needed to not be at that high school anymore? Yeah, right. Like I had actually not completed the requirements and they just took a pencil and erased the zero and added a one. I miss the analog said, age. <laughs> and said, that's fine, isn't it? Do yeah. we all agree? Is that fine? So moved. And it's like, I knew it. I knew that they were doing it. If you look at my transcript, it's visible there. There's a visible like lie or cheat in it that I didn't ask for. Um, and it does feel dishonest. And, and, that's, and, it's, and, it's, and a it's, a white, it's a white ribbon. It's a white ribbon. And it's a small thing, right, that, that I think a lot of people would assume I was proud of. Like, or, or, <laughs> or at least relieved by. Well, like, I didn't care. I mean, I didn't care. I don't think about. I had no anxiety about graduating from high school because I knew if I did or I didn't, it wouldn't matter. But. Having not done it, having not actually gone to summer school or repeated my senior year, whatever it was that that I probably or almost definitely should have been forced to do, um, that I didn't actually, it's not actually finished. Uh, because it was, yeah, it was this like, um, fake, it's faked. So the so the walk across Europe, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but there was a moment in, there was a, an evening in Slovakia, 
Have I ever told you about this evening in Slovakia? No, I don't. I don't remember. Is this is this when you went to the lady's house and she gave you food? No. Okay. Oh, bring no. it. Oh, oh, by the way, our thanks to Mac Weldon. <clears throat> Go ahead. You know what? I uh, I've I've got some Mac Weldon stuff on the way. Um, like in the mail. Well, as, you will, as you will hear on the ad spot, which I most definitely have already recorded, I got three new of the Mac Weldon shirt that I like for the Christmas. Oh, nicely done. I don't want to spoil the ad spot that, that you just heard that I already definitely right. recorded, but I'm a right. fan, man. I want to. I, I ordered a bunch of more silver underpants <laughs> because I feel like I those didn't want to take you off your anecdote. I just needed a no. spot. The silver, the silver underpants really do help me. So they should just call them that. Why don't they just call them silver underpants? Well, I think that's what they are, right? Should I just make this the ad? I mean, I don't have a problem with this being the ad because it's true. My uh, silver underpants protect me against danger. <laughs> Shit. Okay, hang on. Hang on. I'm going to regret this. I can feel it already. I'm going to fucking regret this. I don't see why. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> They're not technically bulletproof, the silver <laughs> underwear. They're not technically bulletproof, but they make me feel bulletproof. This episode of Roderick still- Online is brought to you by Mac Weldon. And I'm here to tell you right now, you can go to MacWeldon.com and you'll get 20% off your order using the promo code ROTL, just like it sounds, R-O-T-L. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. What, I, what I need to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to regret it's, this. It's I can feel military, it. It's military-grade <laughs> silver thread. That is threaded in with the cotton. To you can make, make John. You can make a military grade silver thread. Is that a NASA military, technology? The military does it all the time. Yeah. I don't know how. Apparently, yeah. I mean, it's not something probably that Mac Weldon just does themselves. They probably source it mm-hmm. through military contractors like Halliburton or something. Mm, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. <laughs> Pretty sure it that's is. true. Yeah. Yeah. Do your underpants have silver in them? No, you fixate on the underpants. And the problem with these Mack Weldon people is they're always fixating on the underpants. I am all about the Pima Cotton. This is this is the ad, just so y'all know. Uh, I am uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Pima Cotton long sleeve T-shirt, and I cannot even tell. I, I will just tell you this: I literally have a drawer full of them because they now are officially my uniform. I wear some kind of a short sleeve shirt underneath. Uh, it could be it could be the Mack Weldon uh, white T-shirt, which has a nice uh-huh. long tail. Much like the Chris Anderson article in Wired, uh, uh-huh. but this and th- but I am here to tell you now. John is here to tell you about underpants. I'm here to tell you about shirts. These these are these are soft. They're beautifully uh-huh. made. They're they're like engineered. They actually like the T-shirt looks like something from outer space. It's like the coolest thing ever. So you know, uh, you want to talk more about the threads in your underpants? Well, I see. I don't. I don't typically wear T-shirts. Mm. Um, unless the only time I'll put on a T-shirt is if a I expect to be hot. And I'm dressing up fancy and I don't want, you know, I want another layer. And I'm, and I'm always confused. Like, does the lay, extra layer make me hotter so that I perspire more? Oh, and I see. am I just causing more of a problem for myself? Or am I putting another layer in between my shirt and the person? This is why you can finish your album. You're thinking about shit like this. Well, I mean, and you got to very... consider, is there, is there wicking involved? Is there wicking Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a hard choice. And my dad wore V-neck T-shirts, but I do not support no, V-neck no, no, T-shirts. No, 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 I am more of a that is uh, not a good look collared shirt. I mean, if you the... like them, get them Hakuna Matata. But for me, I look Fruit I look ball. bad. I look like somebody in some kind of like community theater version of like you know, cat on a hot tin roof or something. It's bad. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, I don't like them. I don't like them either. And when I was a kid uh, in the 70s, it was very popular to wear tank tops. Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of cool tank tops that had stripes and stuff. And I looked very cool in a Mm -hmm. tank top when I was like eight. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't look good in a tank top now. No. And I don't look good. I don't like a V-neck shirt. They're stinky. They can be stinky because there's nothing to (laughs) absorb your, uh, your business. Yeah, they're gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Kamuna Matata, if mm-hmm. you like to wear it. Yes, especially if you get them from Mack Weldon, which I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah, but the yeah. silver underpants. Mm. And the thing is, they're not silver colored. And this is the other thing. See, that's, important. Like a, that's important. A lot of people think it's going to look like a baked potato. Do your underpants no, no, look no. like a baked potato? No, because okay. I get the, uh, I get the like, light pastel oh, colors. Light pastel color. Yeah. And I'm not a technical fabrics person, Mm-mm. typically. Right, I'm gonna want your wools and your cottons. Mm-hmm. You, you, like, you like pants made of wax, exactly. Right, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about doing a uh, I'm talking about doing a motorcycle trip this summer up to the Arctic Circle with some friends, and they are friends. One of them, at least, is somebody that wears technical fabrics, even when they're not doing something technical. Uh, I think I know who he is, and and I'm like, well, I'm not so Jason, sure about no. No, no, no. Jason, um, Jason, Jason can't figure out like whether he's wool or or what. But he's not a, against technical fabrics. The thing about my silver underpants is that my feeling about them is, although they are produced surely by some technical method that involves military grade silver thread, mm-hmm. it's silver, mm. which is like the oldest of the oldest school materials. That's one it's of my. Like, fav- it's easily one of my favorite precious metals. Yeah. Oh, me too. I think gold me is too. very gaudy. I think silver can be very, very classy. I got silver all all over the house. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's all all my doorstops are silver. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I do feel like oh, it's right. Not... <laughs> you have bullion, don't you? Have ingots? Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> it's uh, but it's not. Um, you got that you back know, from the crackhead's trunk, right? I got the ingots back from the crackhead's <laughs> trunk, <laughs> and they're back. They're back fulfilling their purpose, their ultimate purpose, which is to be $5,000 doorstops. The thing about Mack Weldon is they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of silver underpants, you can keep it, and they will still refund you with no questions asked. Now, I think this mm-hmm. is a good policy. I would not even want to know that somebody's sending used underwear through the mail. Right. You're not going to take that back. Well, God, right? no. I mean, who are you going to give that to? I, I struggle yeah. with that with my socks because I like to rotate. I, I, I'll get a whole new set of gold toes, and then I feel bad about all of the – there's some socks my daughter can repurpose into sewing projects, but I feel mm-hmm. bad. So now what's nice is they accept socks in, in compost in San Francisco, so you can compost your socks. You know what I do with socks? Mm-mm. What? If they're, if they're not if they're not totally thrashed if they're just like these socks have have run their course You're imperfect mm-hmm. socks are in the family of things that i will put back into the river which is mm-hmm. uh, to say that once you get like 10 pairs of socks that are all going out mm-hmm. you bind them together mm-hmm. into a into like a like a like a bindle like a, a bindle of socks mm-hmm. a bale of socks and you take them and you just put them on top of a mailbox somewhere on a busy street. <laughs> you pay it forward. And I guarantee you those socks will be gone in 10 minutes. But by like a, by a, a fetishist or somebody who just wants to have uh, used socks just for like a collection? Like who do you think is picking those up? Who knows? Who knows? This is, the be- this is the beautiful thing about the river. Mm-hmm. The river. If you if you put something down, if you put something and put a sign on it that says free. Oh, yes. It goes away. Yes. Almost invariably it goes away. Now, if you put a, a if you put a filthy 
child's car seat down with a sign that says free, it will not go away. Mm-hmm. It will stay, it will stay there and it will grow moss. Mm-hmm. So don't do that. Nobody likes those. But things like socks, which mm. you would not think anybody would have a purpose for. See, I, I've, heard, I've heard it said, hey, listen, don't donate socks that are used. Donate socks that are fresh. People could really, that's actually one of the most needed things at like a mm-hmm. shelter is socks. But nobody wants your used socks is a thing I've always heard. And yet, mm-hmm. a, a, a bale of socks mm-hmm. will go. And once it goes, once it's in the river... Once it goes into the Ganges of uh, of your neighborhood, okay. right? You don't have to worry whether it's a sock fetishist, whether someone's making puppets. Oh, it's your problem whether, now. Take the socks. Just take them. Whether it, it could have been the red hot chili peppers that grabbed. You. Oh, of course, because they need that for their for their attire. Yeah. You so put it, you put it in the so, river. You you put it in the river, and the socks go somewhere. You put it in the river, and th- I don't put everything in the river. I don't just take my garbage and just put it out. No, no, ho- hoping. Goes. Well, I'm here to tell but you, John, I, Mac Weldon also has socks. Uh, here's the thing. Now, Mac Weldon, you can get underwear, socks, and shirts. They all look good, and they perform well, too. Good for working out, going on dates, or just everyday life. That's that, that, that's uh, Mac Weldon. So so what you do is, uh, if you have put your socks into the river or, or your silver yeah. underpants and you're ready to re-up, please go to MacWeldon.com and use the very special promo code ROTL, just like it sounds, ROTL. That'll get you 20% off your order. Uh, I, I'm pulling for the Pima Cotton Long Sleeve T-shirt, and the white T-shirt sounds like you're pulling for the pastel-colored uh, silver underpants. Well, not necessarily, because I also bought two pairs of silver socks. What? Silver I've socks? I've never had them. I've never had oh, them before. Oh, come on. Is that, a, is that a thing? I've never had them before. Oh, my and God. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they increase my bulletproof attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point that I basically can defeat the Joker or whatever it is that everybody is so scared about. If if, if Achilles had been wearing these, he wouldn't be so fucked up. Ha ha! Mm-hmm. He got dipped. They held he, him by his he, his little tendon and they dipped him into the water as a baby to make him bulletproof or arrowproof. And that, that's yeah. why you got an Achilles tendon now. Mm-hmm. Extended crew socks. Oh, here we go. Super fine cotton, anti odor, silver, business smart. Oh, these are handsome. Oh, they come in yeah, purple. Ant- yeah, see, anti-odor oh, business. I think smart. I need this. I need yeah, these. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Oh, wait, so I, got- I did get these. I think I got the extended crew. Yeah, I didn't know my socks were silver. I didn't even know well, that. But, but wait, they've got them. The casual is not silver. And then you go down and you've got the extended crew. Right, extended crew. Yeah. Extended crew. Well, wait. No, there's extended crew in casual. There's extended crew in silver. There's extended crew in merino. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there are several extended crews, but if you get the silver ones that are business smart, mm-hmm. I feel like they also, and I got them, I got them so that they're very distinctive from my other socks. That's what I did too. Yeah. yeah. So it's like when it's time to put on, cause I remember when I had the silver underpants before, before a uh, uh, millennium girlfriend stole them mm. that I mm. was, when I put them on, I did feel more like da da da. And now that I have the socks, too, I can decide, like, am I just wearing silver socks today without the underpants? Right. Uh, well, you don't want to be w- that guy, right? You don't want to be too matchy-matchy. You don't want to be like Ken Stringfellow wearing all denim. You know? Well, maybe. Maybe sometimes. <clears throat> yeah. You know, maybe if it's like, I, this, is, this is a heavy day. This is a heavy day. Some, mm-hmm. I need some extra protection. So you go to MacWeldon.com, use a special promo code ROTL, get you 20% off. Our thanks to MacWeldon for supporting yeah. Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. Yeah, thank you for making a slight thing, whatever this thing is. Yes. Anyway, so, so I was you, in Slovakia. Uh, you, you were in Slovakia. 
I was in Slovakia. I could have gone worse. And, I could have gone worse. And it was, I was pretty good. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't say anything gross. Mm, did I? Better than the Paisley mattress. Okay. Yeah. So here we are uh, in Slovakia. We're in Slovakia, and I'm walking, and it was one of these days. Sometimes you had these days where the distances that you wanted to go, like I want to go 35 to 40 kilometers in a day. And there were there were some days where 35 to 40 kilometers put me in a place where I was not around anywhere I could stop. You know, it put oh, me. Oh, it's in like the it's like when you're on tour and you've just got to get through Canada. Yeah, right. You got to just like keep you pushing. Wanna, you don't want to drive 12 hours uh, ever on tour. It's too much. But there are just some places where it's like, sorry, man, if you're going from Calgary, you know, to Winnipeg, you've just got to drive, and it's just there's no other way around it. You can't. There's no show you can book in the middle. And this was one of those days. Where yes, it was just yes, like, yes. Uh, either I stop. With a with like basically what I would consider a half day and stop in this town that's 15 kilometers from where I started, which just feels like meep, meep. Um, and a lot of times I would get to that town and I'd look around and I'd say, does this feel like a cool enough town that I could just call it a half day and hang out here? Just so I understand, uh, there's there's a balance between uh, on the one hand, you want to feel like you've made enough progress for the day and you, you got a map, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But right. you want to feel like you've done enough for the day. Like if you only went, like I don't know what fifteen kilometers is. I don't know what that is in in regular money. But like if you it's go, if, huh? It's a distance. Okay, but like if you only it's made it, if you made it four miles today, it would not feel substantial enough. But you have to weigh that against. Oh, there's this very small town that may not accommodate me, but I got to go another right. twenty miles. Is that the is that the balance? Yeah, and you look at a map and you see like, oh, there's a big, big area here where there are no towns. I'm guessing it's a swamp or it's an other sort of uninhabitable <laughs> zone. Millenniums are not going to understand this. You, gotta, <laughs> there's, you have to understand when, when John and I were coming up, the map you had might not be right anymore. Like yeah. it could be that that road is gone. Like Ronald Reagan changed that. It's a different road now, and your atlas from 1974 isn't going to be so baller today. <laughs> It yeah, could be a fucking swamp. This is just, and I'm guessing a lot of the times because it doesn't say swamp, or if it does, it says it in Slovakian. <laughs> and I don't know what call the... their city a swamp. <laughs> yeah, that's so fucking Rand McNally. Like that's big map. Edge of swamp town. <laughs> so this was one of those days, and I got, I went through this little town, and I, and I remember actually going through a town and saying to someone. Stopping someone in the in the street and saying, "Is there a hotel in this town?" And they looked at me with this with this particularly like uh, late twentieth century Slavic look, and they were like, "No," mm-hmm. as though having a as though having a hotel in that town was a stupid thing for me to say. So it was like two levels of ignorance. It was like on the one hand, you didn't know if if there was a hotel, but then you didn't even know what a dumb question it was. Yeah. And I I looked at them and then as we parted ways, I thought to myself, who's the dummy? Like you guys are tr- are figuring out like a market economy and I know from talking to a lot of people on this side of what had formerly been the wall that there's a lot of feeling of like uh resentment about the intrusion of this this expectation of a market economy. But all you have to do is say, 
yes, come to my house and I'll pay you what seems like to you probably a lot of money. Oh, see, like like the, the original gig economy. Yeah. I'll pay you $25, which is... That's like all the dollars. A lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And all you have to do is have a bed in the back of your fucking warehouse. So who who why are you so smug about the fact that you don't have a fucking hotel in your town? Like get with the program. Yeah. Um which you know which was like there's probably a little pension there now. Anyway, so I kept walking. And I walked and walked, and it was a great day. It was like a beautiful day. It was a long sort of pleasant walk. It was kind of a swamp, but it wasn't like a pestilent swamp. It was just like a lowland. Mm -hmm. There were some birds. Uh, It was like there's a lot of that area around the Danube that's kind of river basin-y. So there's a lot of water. And this was a particularly rainy season. Anyway, I get to the end of the day. And I'm still quite a ways out from this town that I'm going to, which is called Kolarovo. And I just keep plugging along because there's just nowhere to, there's just nothing to do. You know, I could stop and pitch a tent, like on the side of the road in three inches of water. Or I could keep going. And I kept going. And then it started to rain. And then the sun went down. And so now I'm walking in the dark in the rain. And I get to... Colorovo, and it's a fairly big little town. And I walk all the way to the center, which is on a river, and there's a like community club, you know, this sort of former, um, former Eastern Bloc sort of like sporting club, which is a bar where they also play music, and it, it's a youth center, you know, it's all this stuff. And I roll into this place, and I. Sh- you know, I'm I'm super wet and I get a Coke and I sit down at a table and like inevitably somebody, some brave young person comes over and goes, what are you? And I say, I'm an American. I'm walking across Slovakia. And they're like, wow. And so all of a sudden I'm sitting at a table with like six really great 20 something Slovaks. And we're having a good time. We're talking. They're talking to each other a lot more than they're talking to me. But we're enjoying each other. And then but I. But you're, you're an interesting curiosity. I'm a curiosity, and they are Slovaks who are. This is something that you learn over time. They are Hungarian Slovaks. They are speaking Hungarian. They think of themselves as ethnically Hungarian, but they're also very sort of nationalistically Slovakian. They don't want to reunite with Hungary. They have a Slovak identity. But they are Hungarians. Uh, and in this part of Slovakia, it is majority Hungarians. And they listen to Hungarian radio. And they, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of the quizzical aftermaths of the dissolution of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. So that's a World War One type situation? Yeah. I mean, they took... Hungary used to be big. And after... Uh, after... Trianon, they chopped it all apart, and they gave some of it to Romania and some of it to Slovakia and some of it to all the nations on all sides. They even gave some to Austria, which doesn't make any sense at all. And there are lots of, in some of those places, like in Romania, they kind of pushed the Hungarians out. And so you go to these towns, and it's like everything's written in Hungarian, but it's all Romanians living there now. 
but in Slovakia, just the Hungarians stayed there. Uh, they just are now Slovaks. Anyway, so I'm, you know, sitting there kind of learning all this. Uh, and I think I think maybe this was the town where I started to really grasp this because I'd been walking for a long time talking to people in in like pigeon Slovak, which I which is similar enough to Czech that I by this point had learned enough of it that I could greet people and say like, hello, is there a hotel? And I got a lot of like sneers from people. And it was only sort of right around this Point that I realized, oh, they are all speaking Hungarian. And so I'd been speaking to them in Slovakian, and that was a faux pas. So these kids explained it to me as I'm sitting there going, this, you know, this radio station we're all listening to doesn't sound like it's in Slovakian. And they were like, ha ha ha, ding-a-ling. So then I broached the topic. Can I stay with one of you tonight? And then, then there's always that, like, oops, and everybody kind of looks at their fingernails. Mm -hmm. But I'd been doing this long enough that I knew somebody was probably going to step forward. You miss 100% and, of shots you don't take. That's right. And because I had, I'd asked already, like, is there a hotel in this town? And the answer had come back, no, not really. And it's a pretty big town. Oh, what it was was there were hotels, but they were all booked up permanently. And I heard this a lot, too. Yeah, there are like four hotels in town, but they're all booked fully, always, by people living in them. So they're not really hotels anymore. They're apartments. Wow, okay. But they're, they're like people, they're, they're workers here, like uh, highway workers, and they just live in the hotels. So don't bother calling the hotels because there won't be any rooms. Now, whether or not that's true or not, is left to history. But that was the, that was what allowed me to say, well, can I stay with one of you? And then they have to look out and say, it's raining. It's 11 o'clock at night. So one of the kids says, look, we're all leaving tomorrow early in the morning on a big adventure where we're going to Hungary for some adventure. Um, and so you can stay at my house. I'll stay at my friend's house. Um, and then, but I, but the problem with that is that we're all going to wake up at seven in the morning and you have to leave. And I was like, that's fine. That's great. And then they say, well, our, my, my place is like on the other side of town, which is only a kilometer away. It's not far, mm -hmm. but it's the middle of the night. It's raining. They're like, hop in the car and we'll drive over to the apartment. And I'm like, ah, I haven't been in a car in months. Like, on principle, I'm walking from Amsterdam to Istanbul. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's very hard to look at these, that look at this guy who's like, you can stay in my apartment. We're leaving now. Mm -hmm. It's already now, you know, you're not going to get a full night's sleep because by the time you get there and fall asleep, it's going to be one in the morning and we're, I'm going to show up at, I don't know what it was, 6 a.m. or something. It's going to be brutally early. Mm-hmm. And you're it, it gonna, doesn't doesn't help to add a little element of a little game to it that makes you seem like a weirdo if you're going to be at the house, right? Yeah, right. Where I'm like, well, just tell me where it is and I'll walk. Let you guys drive the, the American <laughs> does not want to get in a car, just so we're clear right. here. Right. I'm going to walk there in the rain. I'm going to walk that kilometer. You know, we can look up the street and they're like, it's just up that street. It's just, you can see up there where the light is, you turn. 
And I, there's not even a traffic light in this town, or if mm-hmm. there is, there's one. But they're like up there where that, you know, where that blue light is. And I'm like, it's very close. It's I'm just gonna walk. And they're like, um, really? Like, let's get this over with. And I'm yeah. like, okay. And I pile into the car, and we drive this one kilometer. Then the guy puts me in his house, and I'm uh, ensconced. And it, he had one of those weird houses where everything was in black and white, hmm. like he had a. He had like black and white checkerboard. If you went into his bathroom, all of his, all of his uh, like accoutrements were all black, mm. and it seemed very, it seemed very mod, and it seemed very like there was a nagel print. You know, it was. He had a whole look. Yeah, look, yeah. But then in the morning, he wakes me up. It's cold. It's it's foggy because we're in a river bottom, and I step out the door of his apartment, and I look up the road. To the center, which is one kilometer back. And I look at my map, and the direction I'm going is the opposite way. And it's going to take me probably a kilometer to get back to the main road from this, you know, in the opposite direction, like the other side of the triangle. And I, and I sit there and I go, do I walk the kilometer back to my starting point? Or do I just start walking in the direction that I'm going? And the fog and the cold and the and the fact that I was like ugh, tired and fucked up. And you know, of course, there's no coffee anywhere. Kilometers a little over half a mile. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't seem that far. It's not. Oh. You can't throw you can't throw a frisbee a kilometer. Mm-mm. Um, even if you had a wrist rocket and really pulled back on it, I don't know if you could get a if you could get a ball bearing a kilometer. I, I go frequently to a place that's exactly half a mile from my house, and that's about an eight minute walk. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I don't. I don't walk back to get my boots on home plate, which is the last place my boots were before I got into this car. I just walked the other way and I, and it, and I'm like, it's it's a kilometer back to the road. It's fine. It just, it makes up for itself, you know, but I introduced into my system, which was that I was walking from Amsterdam to Istanbul and an uninterrupted series of boot prints uh, where I even would walk upstairs rather than take an escalator. I introduced this one kilometer break, which although I walked 3,000 kilometers, is still there as a little <laughs> pee. Just that one little, like, tiny, tiny little, like, hairpin. From one side of, and not even from one side of Kolarovo to the other, but just from center of Kolarovo to this guy's apartment, it's just a pee under my mattress. Oh, my God. And and I don't let it discredit (laughs) my whole thing. Oh, my God. Although there is at least one legislator in the parliament that, that runs for office and gets elected every every election cycle on the strength of the fact that he wants an investigation. Oh my God. And it's hanging over your head. 
He just is there. He's There's just, just that like, one, the one parliamentarian who has an issue with the one kilometer. He's in the opposition, and for him, you know, that is, that's his like, um, his like the the one reason that he keeps getting elected, um, like it's his Benghazi. That's his. That's his bringing coal back. Yeah, and so he's he'll never get he'll never put a coalition together where he forms a new government and there's an investigation into whether that kilometer in Kolarovo is a, as a thing where I have to go back and walk that whole distance again, but, (laughs) but it, it, or, or that I have to fly, uh, to Bratislava and take a bus to Kolarovo and make that and, and close that link. But, that walk across Europe was the first thing I ever finished. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I ever concluded all the way that I got there and I was like, I did it. I went the whole distance. There were a million things, a million reasons why I shouldn't have, including that it was a stupid idea to begin with. Um, but along the way, there, there were 50 opportunities to just be like, you know what? This is fine. Like, I made it all the way to Stara Zagora. I can just like... I can cash my chips now. Mm-hmm. And I never did. I made it the, the whole way with the exception of this kilometer. And the, the, um, it's not only the first thing I ever finished, but also I, I get to keep it in that category of things that if I want to say, you know, if I want to look at it, if it, if I want it to be an unopened diploma on my shelf, I can, I can also, shift my perception and and have it be that that might be the most john roderick story you've ever told (laughs) you've outdone yourself (laughs) i'm not even sure anymore what makes it what what is the qualification of that but oh they'll know the audience will know Okay. Okay, hang on. Before we go, one more thing, John. Yes. We got to tell people you need to come see us at uh, Sketchfest. Oh yeah, we're we're uh, next Monday. Instead of doing our show as we normally do, we're going to be doing a live show live in show. San Francisco at Sketchfest. Yeah, so come out and see us. There's lots of good stuff going on, but uh, b- b- fuck all that. Come see us. You go buy tickets. Yeah, there's exactly. a link in show notes that you can find, or you can Google Roderick on the line Sketchfest. Uh, but we'd love it if you came out to see us. Uh, do yes, for mm-hmm. sure. One, one, one travel kil- long, travel long distances to come see us. One kilometer, one mm. kilometer. <laughs>